You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Hey guys, thanks for being here this morning. I'm Marty, pastor here at the church at Rutledge, and just want to welcome you if you're a guest with us this morning. Thanks for being here. Um, if you would, uh, if you've never filled out one of these information cards, we'd appreciate it. It's in a chair somewhere in front of you, hopefully, and uh, you can check that out, fill that out. Um, it's an information card for us just to, to get to know you. We're not going to send you like 500 mailers and start knocking on your door. Um, that's just so we know who you are and, and how we can serve you and help you. So thank you for doing that if you would. Uh, also, if I didn't get to meet you or if you're a first-time guest, uh, when you leave today and go out the door to your right, there's a tent there. And actually, David and I both will be out there, and we just have a gift for you if you're a first-time visitor with us and would love to just uh, spend a moment getting to know you better. Uh, a couple quick announcements and then we'll get right into uh, continuing to worship uh, God through the Word and through Scripture and what He would have to say to us today. But um, there's a block party coming up June 12th that's being put on by basically us uh, and Blue Springs Baptist Church at the Baptist Association in, uh, down here in Rutledge. And it'll go from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. that Monday, June 12th. And we're just being asked to help serve there at that. And so anybody that can volunteer to help that morning from 10 to 2 or even any different block of hours of that, like from noon to 2 or 10 to 12, whatever, there's a sign-up sheet out front. Just let us know you can come and help. And it may be just serving food to some kids or hanging out with some adults and talking to them. Uh, But let us know if you're able to help us with that. That'll be June 12th coming up if you'll just sign up out there Uh, also a couple more things student camp is this week they'll be leaving on tuesday Uh, if if your kids are going on that or if you are going on that 9 a.m here tuesday mornings when they're meeting to start loading up and get everything ready so be here and if the rest of you guys would just pray for our students that are going to camp and our leaders and especially for david and uh, just pray that uh, everything goes well and that uh, hearts and minds are open to what God would have for them there. Anything else about camp? Good deal. Um, also, uh, Marsha's father, Marsha, uh, he he passed away, and we're going to have a memorial service here um, June 11th. That's next Sunday. Right after the service, we'll have lunch, and then there'll be visitation from like 1.30 to 2, and then at 2, we'll do a memorial service here uh, for Marsha's dad. Great guy. If you ever saw him come in, the last little while he came in, he was in a wheelchair and come in and sit back there and uh, had a blanket on his lap. He was always cold. and uh, But most one of the most wonderful guys to talk to and always encouraging to me and loved the church and loved what we were doing here. And, and so uh, just a, a wonderful guy to be around. World War II veteran. Uh, he was in the Navy. And so uh, we'll be doing a memorial service for him on June 11th. Just keep Marcia and her family in their prayers as they deal with um, the passing of their father. Um, and last thing would be uh, just wanted to introduce David this morning. If you don't know David, uh, maybe your first time here. David's our youth pastor, works with the students. Um, I feel like, and, and he preaches here often, and I try to give him as much opportunity as I can. Uh, I feel it's my responsibility to, as as a 
as a pastor of this church to raise up people, train leaders, and turn them loose. One day David will uh, probably go plant a church somewhere or, or be a pastor. Um, you know, every youth pastor has to grow up at some point. I figured that out myself, right? And so um, you grow up and have to be an old guy pastor. And so uh, I know David one day is, he's just, as you guys listen to him, you know, he's just going to fly right past me. And I pray that he goes on to be such a great leader and, and pastor. And I just want to invest in him, give him opportunities as I can. And so I know you guys are blessed by him every time he speaks, um, as you guys respond to me and tell me that. Um, so I'm very thankful that he's here at our church uh, and doing what he's doing, him and him and Tyler both, and all of our staff and Rita just uh, want to invest in them and give them opportunities as we can. So, and my wife Nikki back there in the back. Hopefully, you you love what goes on with the kids here. So, uh, with that, I just let David come on up, uh, and he's going to continue in our series. This I know, and just appreciate him very much and how he serves. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Before we get started, I'm just going to open us up with prayer, um, and then we'll get straight into it. Father God, I just want to give you just thanks this morning uh, that you have brought us to this place. You've brought us to a, a gathering of believers, your bride, the church. I thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed for us. I thank you that through him we now have peace with you, that we have been reconciled to you. And that we are no longer slaves to fear because we have someone else. Someone else that we love and we, we adhere to. Someone else that we submit to that is much more powerful than fear, than circumstances, than worries. We have you who is sovereign over the universe. So God, I pray this morning you would free us from distractions. God, and I pray today that many would walk away from here with fears relieved. And they would walk away from here with a new found bedrock faith in you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, um, the last several weeks, you guys know we've been in this series called This I Know, and basically the whole idea of that is we have these different questions in life. We have these, you know, maybe it's, maybe you're a skeptic. Maybe you're like, you know, I'm not really sure about Christianity. I'm not really sure about this dynamic, this doctrine, and we've tried to address some of those things. Um, Today is going to be a little bit more Sort of basic, I guess you could say, but at the same time, it's one of those just, it sounds so simple, but it's so hard to wrap our minds around. And that question is, if God is really with us, then why is this happening? I mean, I don't know your why, I don't know, you know, where you are in that scenario, but I think all of us go through stages where we just wonder why. Or maybe we're in a good stage right now and we're looking back wondering why. You know, I'm not sure where you are. But a lot of those things happen to us because of, fear. So I looked up uh, on Washington Post, they had an article about some of the top fears in America. Uh, one of the top fears was darkness. A lot of people are afraid of the dark still. I guess they've got their night lights and a little glow-in-the-dark moon and stars up above on their ceiling. Um, another one, some of y'all are probably going to get a little uh, scared even just with this word, clowns. All right, let me just be real here for a second. I've never really understood like what is so exciting about a clown. Like, clowns just creep me out, okay? Maybe I shouldn't tell you that. I'm not afraid of clowns. Like, I could watch Stephen King's It, you know, and it would be, be okay. You know, I might have nightmares for a couple weeks, but I'd get over it at some point. Um, but clowns are just weird. All right, another fear that there was was spiders. Anybody here afraid of spiders? Okay, spiders. Now, 
I have not ever really been that bad about spiders, but one thing I don't like is rats. And I got a really, oh gosh, the picture that I got from Travis Johnson last week of a, a rat that was brought in his house by a cat. Man, that thing was pretty, that, that was, it was, yeah, it was another cat. Um, so spiders, that was one of them. Another one was claustrophobia. Anybody have that? I'm not too bad, but sometimes I'm a little bit too close to too many people all at once, and I really just want to get out of there. Any of you who've ever been to, like, Passion in Atlanta, that is the worst. When you're leaving there and there's 60,000 college students trying to leave the Georgia Dome, oh, my gosh, it is just, it's, it's terrible. It's awful. Um, a great event, but it's just awful doing that. But what was the number one? Anybody have a guess what the number one fear for Americans is? Snakes, height, public speaking. Okay, like death was like number eight. Number one was public speaking. So here we have most people would rather die than to speak like what we're doing right here, like than speak in public. It's crazy. But what's so interesting about those different things, and those of you who have these fears, like you can relate in maybe even just a small way, a small way but fears and worries... They have a, an element where they can control us, don't they? They can control us. Uh, they, they, they have a, an, an aspect where, man, here, I am afraid of this. Therefore, I'm going to do whatever I can to stay away from that. I'm going to do whatever I can to prevent myself from entering into that place where that fear will find itself towards me. I think about fear and worries. I think about camp this week. Obviously, there's always worries anytime you do a youth event. All right, who's going to get injured? Who's going to get hurt? Who's going to get mad? Who's going to cry? You know, it's just, it just part, part of life, you know. If those of you who are parents got a bunch of kids, that's what you're, you're waiting on every single morning. You wake up, right, every day. See, she's testifying right here every day. Who's going to cry? Who's going to get mad? Who's going to have to sit in time out? Whatever. Um, but I think about camp. One thing my youth pastor that I had, Jason Abbott, he's in Missouri now, um, that he taught us as far as every youth event we went to, Pranks were not allowed. Okay, now he, he loved pranks. We love pranks too. One time we put a whole bounce house in his office while he was gone. It was really awesome. Um, and about a couple hundred balloons, that was great. Um, but pranks are great. They, they're fun, they're funny if you do them right, you know, and you're appropriate. Um, but when you go to things like camp, this is what happens, all right? You got, let's just, I'll pick two random students of mine, Clay and Levi. All right, so let's say that Clay pranks Levi over the weekend. Um, let's say he just, you know, I don't know, let's say he did the saran wrap to him while he was sleeping over where they, you know, were stuck to the mattress. Okay, let's say he did that. Or let's say maybe he threw something at him or he found he was really afraid of frogs and threw a bunch of frogs on him. What's going to happen to Levi is for the rest of the week, he's going to be looking over his shoulder, right? He's going to be worried, He's going to be anxious. He's just going to be waiting. And every time he hears Clay's voice, every time he hears, you know, his cough, you know, he, like even to that degree of like knowing when he's around, like he's just going to be afraid and be ready for something to happen. Many of us have things in our life where we're just waiting for that to happen. We feel like, man, it's there. It's, it, it's over there. It, it, it's around me. It's, maybe, it's, maybe that fear is attached to a person. Maybe it's what this person has done to you. Maybe it's what the memories you have of this person. When you just walk into a room, it's just like it's just like a, a flood goes over you of just fear and anxiety. 
to bring it in on just a little bit of a serious note, if, if y'all watched the news, last night there was a terrorist attack in the United Kingdom, in England. And um, so far I read this morning that there was a total of seven people that have been killed. Um, we saw several weeks ago there was an Ariana Grande concert, remember, and there was a bunch of stabbings and I think a, a bombing there too. And um, we see these things happening all over the world, the, these attacks, these, these acts of terrorism. And I think so many times we get to the point... And I hear this in conversations of, we're just afraid. We're like, man, I'm just going to quit flying on planes. Man, I'm going to quit going to such a big event like that. Like, we begin to live in fear, don't we? And so one of the questions I want to just go ahead and ask up front, and I want you to just say this to yourself, what are you afraid of? All of you, you're, you're at some stage in life, some stage I don't know what that is, but all of you have different stages of life. And there is something, odds are, that you are afraid of right now today. That you would weep and moan if God called you to give this thing up. Or if God said to go into that place. Or to move there. Or to talk to that person. There's something that you are afraid of. And with all that, I want to move on to Judges chapter 6. And if any, if you all are familiar with Judges The whole book basically is filled with this continual episode of the people fear what they ought not fear. They fear the gods of of the foreign lands, and they do not trust in God wholeheartedly. God uh, gives them over to judgment, and then God delivers them. And this is a continual thing. Over and over, you see them crying out to the Lord. God delivers, and then every chapter, it seems like at the beginning, it says, then the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And God delivered them. Then the people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Over and over, they continually to turn their backs against him. So we're going to start here in um, chapter 6. And this is after several of those escapades. Um, But right into it, it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. Midian was just a you know, local tribe of people, local group of people. He gave, God gave uh, the Israelites into their hand because, why? They did what was evil on the side of the Lord. Verse 2, And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and in the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against those and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So we're talking about tons and tons and tons of Midianites coming in so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So you had this constant cycles we talked about. This deliverance going back, deliverance going back, deliverance going back. And uh, I, I got to preach at my home church last Wednesday. And they're going to uh, crossings camp the same time that we are. And, and uh, talked to them how I just straight up said, some of you all, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go to camp next week. And it's going to be the last night of camp. There's going to be a little smoke in the room. There's going to be soft music. And you're going to just, man, you know what? I'm going to give that up. You know what? I'm going to break up with that person. You know what? I'm going to quit doing that, quit looking at that. I'm just going to give all that stuff up, and I'm going to just pursue Christ. I'm going to just, you know, pursue him with everything I have. And what happens is they have that little experience, and then they come back, and two weeks later, they're back to normal. All right, so many of us still do, and I don't want to say that pridefully either, because I think in ways we still do that as well. Um, But the people of Israel were doing that. And really what their issue was, because this is what we need to understand. 
It says that they were brought low and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now that can seem just great right there on the surface, can it? It just can seem like, man, they were just broken hearted and they just wanted to pursue the Lord. But really, is that the issue? Was, was that how the people were before then or even after? Because really what it seems like, and we'll, we'll get to see it more throughout the passage, is what they had was not repentance but regret. And there's a difference between regret and repentance. Regret says, I hurt myself. Man, I, I did all I wanted, and it really just hurt me. Maybe it's, you know, I did, ate what I wanted, drank what I wanted, uh, put in my body what I wanted, and now I'm having a lot of health problems because of that. Now, forgive me, Lord, because I have all these health problems. Now I'm wanting you to be here. That's just an example, but regret says I hurt myself. What does repentance say? Repentance says I hurt God. Repentance says I have sinned against the creator of the universe. I have committed treason against the one who made me. I have violated this covenant that he has made with me. That's what repentance says. And we'll see in hopes that that would happen later in this passage. Verse 7, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. So all before this, over and over, when we, when we had these cycles of, you know, they sinned, it was even inside the Lord, and then they cried out to the Lord, God would send them what is called a judge. God would send them judges. That's why the book is called Judges. And the judge was basically a warrior, a deliverer for them. But now something different happens. God doesn't send them a judge initially, does he? Who does he send? He sends a preacher. So before, before God even thinks that they need to be delivered, they need to hear a sermon. That's what he sends to them. The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So God hears their cry. He answers their cry. And he sends them not a warrior, but a prophet. He sends them not a savior, but a sermon. And that sermon was a a sermon of conviction to remind them, to show them, look what you have done. Don't be sorry just because things out here are bad. Look who you've actually sinned against. You violated this covenant. And, And he reminds us too here, the prophet says that, look at what all that God did. Delivering you up from, from the Egyptians and, and, and defeating your enemies in front of you and giving you all the, how he has blessed you. And how he has been faithful to the promise, the promise he made to Abraham. And even far back, the promise he made in the garden. But you have not obeyed my voice. This really is Christianity 101 at, at the core. And, and it's the same thing for us that before... We can appreciate being rescued. We have to know that we need to be rescued, don't we? That's what they needed to know. Because that's what they didn't get. Because they had this, their parents, their grandparents, they had all the, this cycle of uh, bad things happening and deliverance and bad things happening and, and deliverance. And they needed to know why they needed to be rescued. There was an old Puritan, he said it this way. Till sin become bitter, Christ will not become sweet. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Sweet. And then we see God calls a judge after this. Verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizirite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from 
the many nights. So the first thing I just want to just mention just very quickly, because there's going to be more that we talk about here in a few minutes, is that this word angel, it just, it literally means messenger of the Lord. That's what angels were. Okay, they were just messengers of the Lord. It's not like, you know, this, this you know, little blonde-haired guy with wings and a halo over him. Like, this is just a messenger of God, okay? And what do we, what do we want to see here first? Because this whole thing, this whole thing we're talking about fear. We're talking about anxiety, talking about worry. And it, it, if God is really with us, then why is, are these things happening? We begin, we begin to fear what's going on around us. Where is Gideon? Where is he? Well, it says Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon's hiding. Okay, so this guy that God shows himself to, he sends a messenger to speak to him. This guy's hiding not only from the Lord, but he's hiding from all the things outside of us, isn't he? He's hiding from the Midianites. He's just trying to keep food. He's scared. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. Okay, if you hadn't read this before, it'd be very easy for us to say that we would have thought the angel would have been like, hey, God's with you, you little coward. Okay? Like here, you know the God of Israel, and like, you're sitting here hiding in a wine press. But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, the Lord is with you. Oh, mighty man of valor. That really doesn't sound like adjectives that would go with the character of Gideon in this situation, does it? It does not. How? How is it that he says this? As we begin to see, Gideon is economically and socially the poorest member of the weakest clan of a no-name tribe. All right, so this guy is a nobody. He's got like two followers on Twitter. One of them is his grandma and the other one is his dog. Okay, like he, he, he's nobody. He is not a fearless warrior. He's actually a fearful worrier. So why does God call him this? Why? Let's move on and we'll get to that. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, and this is our question, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Why has this just foreign tribe come in and they're not even killing us, they're taking all our food. They're just plundering everything that we have. So we continue to live in nothingness. If you really are with us, then why is this happening? Why? He says, where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So he's saying, man, I remember what my great granddaddy talked about, how, how God led the people through, through the Red Sea, how he provided manna for them in the wilderness. Now he did this and he did that and how, you know, he, Abraham had a son. Like that was crazy. A hundred years old and he has a kid. And he reminds himself of those things and says, I know all that, but if you really are with us, then why is this happening? He's afraid, and he's worried, isn't he? Gideon, so preoccupied with his own fears, his own anxieties, his own insecurities, doubts God. If you were really with us, then this wouldn't be happening. I can't tell you how many times I think in our lives, I do this. When things are... And honestly, most of the time, it's almost opposite for me um, of where when things are going really bad, like I, I feel like it's easier for me to say, man, you know, but God's still here and he's, he's causing these things to work together for my good. Sometimes it's easier for me for, for in those situations than when things are going really great. 
but it just feels like they're not. You know what I mean? Of where, like, man, we, we're do, we don't, doing okay with money. You know, marriage is, is doing pretty good. You know, your kids are pretty good. But there seems to just be this missing piece. There seems just to be this, almost this fear, this expectation for those things to be taken from you. Almost this fear of, I just, I don't know what, I just don't know what I would do if, if, I, if that happened. You know, we think about like the terrorist attack. Man, what would I do if, if my daughter was at that concert? And those are scary thoughts to have. They are. But it, in the depth of that, there, be, there becomes something deeper than just a surface level fear, but it ultimately is a trust in him. But I want to go back real quick. Just why did the angel of the Lord, why did the messenger of God say, oh, mighty man of valor? A lot of times, you know, maybe we would just think, man, well, he just saw who he would be. And so called him that ahead of time. So he's really just looking at his potential. But God calls him, O man of valor, not simply because of his potential. But God calls him, O mighty man of valor, because of who he can be with God. So that's not necessarily just so... You see the difference there. It's not just a, a potential of, man, you could just be this big person and do this. It's like, I'm going to use you myself. Right off the bat, though... Gideon misses a blessing to worship, and instead he worries, doesn't he? He questions, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. And right there, right there, Gideon has an opportunity. And over and over in the Old Testament, we see times when God communicates himself to his people. And what, are you, what do so many times they do? They bow and they worship, don't they? And Gideon's not even there. His heart's not even there. He was just thinking about, look at all this. Look at all these worries and these fears. For you today, there is so much to worship God for, but you are so worried about something else. You are so worried about your kids who are rebellious. You're so worried about, man, what if I just had something really bad happen to me health-wise, and I lost all of my money? What happened if the stock market would just totally crash, and I lost my 401k, lost all that? What, just, and you're driven by that fear. What would happen if I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life? There's a fear. And rather than fear, there is a call to worship there. There's a call to meet God in your brokenheartedness. Psalms tells us that God is near to the brokenhearted. Psalms 51 tells us that what is a sacrifice pleasing to God? A broken and contrite heart. So those are the situations when we have those fears and anxieties. Those are the situations when God comes in. But anyways, all that just to, to remind us to see that, that Gideon misses this opportunity straight off the bat. He says, the Lord has now forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him. Notice what he said there. And the Lord, doesn't say an angel, it says, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. So first here, and this is a side note kind of just from the sermon, but I really just want us to explain this really quickly. Um, this is what is known as a Christophany. Okay, Christophany. This is a theological term to describe how basically the Son of God would appear before the incarnation. So before he became incarnate in Jesus, uh, so he was Jesus of Nazareth, right? That the Son of God always existed. We talk about that, you know, when we talked about the incarnation back at Christmas time. That the Son of God always existed. He was eternal, the triune, the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing before time even began. And so this is an, an instance 
where he makes an appearance. And this really baffled scholars, Jewish scholars, for years and years. And it's one of those things that we don't totally understand it without the New Testament. We don't totally see who this is and how he looks at an angel messenger, looks at a messenger of the Lord and calls him Lord. And he doesn't correct him. But now we see it. In Christ, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God. So God is invisible, and the Son of God is His image. Colossians 2.9 says that in Him, the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell. This, other instances when this happened was, what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Y'all remember that story about what happened when these three teenagers were thrown into the fire for refusing to bow down to an idol? And then somebody else showed up in there, didn't it? And Nebuchadnezzar said it looked like one of the, the son of the gods. What about Eden? What about when God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden? He walked with them. If God is invisible, then who walked with them? But all that just to see that, that, that this is the son of God here speaking to him. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So his doubting fear continues. God calls him to something, and he says, I can't do this. I can't do this. Look at my background. Look at who I am. I'm here hiding in a wine press while all my brothers, all my friends, all my relatives are out here like getting ready for war. And I'm sitting here hiding in a wine press. How many times do we let our insecurity over? Maybe it's the way you speak. Maybe it's just, I couldn't teach that class. I couldn't read, start a Bible study. I'm just not that, that smart. I'm not a, a, just a good speaker. What about, hey, y'all remember Moses? Moses stuttered. Moses spoke terribly. And yet, he's now the most famous orator ever. And we're still reading what he wrote. That's how God used him. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's, I mean, maybe you just want to be giving. Maybe you just want to really spend time with people and just have conversations. It's just like, man, I just don't have time. I just, you know, I just, or man, they just, they, they really wouldn't want to listen to me. They wouldn't want to just hear what I have to say. They wouldn't really care about what I thought about this passage or, you know, my prayers for them aren't as important as our pastor's prayers for them. All the time we have these worries, these anxieties, and these fears. Well, this, is, this is what happens, okay? We look at ourselves without God rather than looking at ourselves with God, okay? And back, you know, months ago when we talked about humility and what C.S. Lewis said about humility... He said that humility is thinking not less of yourself, but of yourself less. So what can free us from this fear, these fears of insecurity, these fears within, is forgetting ourselves. That's a whole part of the process is following Jesus as Lord, declaring He is Lord, that we're now moving, we're moving our mind, we're moving what we're looking at, who to follow from ourselves, to Him, isn't it? He's now Lord, He causes shots. One pastor said this, worry is our way of inviting our fears to come and disciple us. That's what worry is. And when we really think about it, doesn't it just sound ridiculous that the God of the universe 
who created us, the God of the universe who put you in the job you're in, put you in the marriage you're in, or the singleness you're in, who put you with whatever pets you have, who put you in this church here today, that he's in control of all these things, and yet we still can't trust him. And yet we still, man, I'm just worried about that. And most of the time, I'm going to speak for myself, most of the time it's this overthinking and being worried about stuff that I don't have any business to being worried about. Like, it's stuff that's like, how is that even going to happen? You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous things. Proverbs 3. And I remember two dear people to me, Pat and Henry Baird at Alpha Baptist Church, just two elderly, faithful saints. I remember them doing Bible drill for, for years and years and years. And anytime I read this verse, I just think about them. And it's Proverbs 3, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Lean not on what? Lean not on your own understanding. When we worry, when we do this, and I, and I, know, I know we do this. We see this on Facebook, man, just having overthinking, hate overthinking all the time. I see that. It leads us it controls us. It dictates our decisions. It causes us to miss out on blessings in the present. It robs us of joy. And ultimately what we have to see is that it really is sinful because we're trusting in our own ideas. We're trusting in our own thoughts. We're trusting in our own predictions rather than God's. Rather who, who, who God has said we are and who God calls us to be. Next, Gideon asked for some confirmation here. He said, Lord, please... How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. And basically, this we need to go ahead and... Go ahead, before we get there, because elsewhere in the chapter, at the end of the chapter, they have this, his, this whole episode where he's like, all right, God, if you're really going to use me to deliver our people, if, you're really, if this really is you, then I'm going to lay this blanket on the ground, and I want uh, tonight, when, it, when the dew comes down, I want just only the blanket to be wet, but the grass isn't wet. So it happens, and then he's like, okay, no, I'm going to change my mind now. I want all the ground to be wet, but the dew, uh, or but the uh, blanket, I want to be dry. And it happens. But a lot of times we can misinterpret passages like that, that, man, it's just like, all right, God, if you want me to have that job, then let me get that phone call today. If you want me to talk to that person, let me see them at Walmart today. Like, seriously, we do things like that. Or I heard a story one time about uh, if, you want me to, um, if you want me to divorce my wife and marry this other woman, let me hear this song on the radio. And he heard the song on the radio. And he followed that as it was God telling him to divorce his wife and marry another woman. Like, we are so prone to things like that. But that's not the picture here. What's going on here is we have to remember, first of all, Gideon doesn't have this whole Bible like we do, do we? He, he didn't have that. So he was really saying, reveal yourself to me. Reveal your nature to me. Let me see that you are totally in control over all these natural processes that happen in the world. The dew at night, you know, and you wake up in the morning and the grass is all wet. He wanted to know that. He wanted to know that this really was God. Hebrews 1, if y'all remember when we were going through Hebrews, it said this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So we have no need for these outward signs. We have no need for it because we have Jesus, because we have Christ. And he says, 
If I have found favor in your eyes, then show me this sign. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. And he ends up, what happens is he brings a, you know, a, a goat and, and has a little sacrifice. And, and uh, the messenger of the Lord, he, he causes fire to come forth. And, and after that, it was almost like this, this really is God. This really is the Lord. And he goes and, and he tears down this idol to Baal. And he ends up getting, they rename him Jerubal, which means let Baal contend for himself. He goes and he tears down this idol, and even his all the people wanted to come and kill him because he was, uh, you know, taking their idol. One one pastor said that uh, people get un- uncomfortable when you poke them in the idols. I like that quote; it's pretty good. When you poke them in the idols, and they were mad. This is somebody they worshipped, and he tore down this altar and demonstrated his faithfulness to God, demonstrated his trust in what God had told him before. Later in this, read the. I'm not going to get to it, but just read the rest of chapter six and seven. Gideon gathers an army, and he takes this army down before the Midianites. And even something more happens. God's basically like, man, all right, you overcame your fear there, and, and you might call yourself a man of valor. Really, you might really think you are now. But why don't you trust me a little bit more? And he tells him to go down to this little creek bed. And let them all drink the water. Let all the soldiers drink the water. And some of them are going to drink the water with their hands. And some of them are just going to put their head down there and just slurp it on up. All right? And 300 of them put their head down to the water and slurped up. And he said, those are the 300 you're going to go to battle with. And all these tons of soldiers, he sends them home. And that's not even to consider at the beginning. He says, hey, if you all are afraid to go do this, so, of course, you're going to have a lot of people afraid to go into battle with some people group. All right, if you're afraid, just go on. It's like 15,000 people just left right then. So we're talking about even more. So we got 300, 300 warriors, 300 warriors ready to go against the Midianites. Long story short, they defeat the Midianites and are protected. God saw Gideon through to accomplish what he called him to do. Some of you today, God has called you to something. God's called you to do something, and you don't want to do it. God's called you to give up something. If you think about it long enough, you'll, you'll you'll know what it is. God's called you to, maybe it's to repent to a spouse about something. Maybe it's to start giving financially to God. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's your ball, money. And you just can't, you can't even wrap your mind around tithing because you're so worried of what would happen if you don't have enough money for something. Rather than trusting in God. Maybe it is with your kids. Maybe they are your idol. And that your heart continually breaks. And it's almost like you can't even go throughout the day because of the things that they're doing. Rather than giving them to God, committing them to Him, letting Him take care of that. And I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that you're not going to have these heartaches, you're not going to have these tears in times where it's just so tough. But it's not going to destroy you and it's not going to dictate how you live your life. Because your trust would be in God. So we saw this story of Gideon and we see how God is still there in the midst of all that. And more than that, God is calling us to something. And that is to make Him known. To know Him and to make Him known to the world. 
So how are you doing that? How are you making Christ known to the world? Ultimately, though, and this is, this is the story with so many people in the Old Testament. Ultimately, Gideon points us to Jesus. Gideon, Gideon points us to somebody who's fearless. He points us to somebody who is just like him from a blue-collar background. He points us to somebody who, like him, with the help of God, saves his people. And he points us to somebody who, like him, also tears down our idols. The idols that destroy us. The idols that burden us, that kill us. These fears, these anxieties, these worries. He points us to Jesus, the perfect warrior, the fearless warrior, who humbled himself even to the point of death to give us life. So what are we to do? How are we to look at this text and, man, just walk away here? This is what I'm going to do with my life today. The first thing, you need to go to him. Go to him. What keeps you up at night? What keeps you restless? Take those things to him and say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Tell him, God, give me, give me just, just the power. Give me the trust in you to overcome these fears and these anxieties. Ask him for help. We need to repent. We need to realize that these things aren't just like struggles. Yeah, they're struggles, but they're not simply that. But they are sins. Because we are not trusting in the Lord. So we ought to repent of trusting in what we know and see and totally trust in Him. Let us remember His name. What did the angel of the Lord tell Mary to name Him? What was it? Emmanuel, right? Which means, it literally means God has come to live with us. Not just to speak to us for a time and send us out, but to live with us. Never to forsake us. Never to leave us. Jesus said, and lo and behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. So my question for you all today is what fears do you have? What worries do you have? What anxieties do you have? Are you at this stage where you have this question? If God really loves me, if God really is for me, if God really is with me, then why is this all happening? Go to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, for your scripture. I thank you for the power of it, which convicts us of our sin and leads us to you. God, I thank you for the story of Gideon, how you, how you just took hold of a, a, a fearful man and you cultivated and created and transformed him into a fearless warrior. God, I thank you for the picture that he gives us of Jesus such a, just a small, small shadow of Jesus who would go, who would defeat sin and death, and who shows us that we can trust in Him. God, though we're worried about money, we're worried about our job, we're worried about our family, our kids, our marriage, we're worried about singleness, we're worried about our health. God, You promise to be with us you promised to deliver us. God, I pray that, that that reality, that truth, would dictate everything that we do. God, I pray that we would begin to live risky lives. I pray that we would be, we'd begin to become willing to give up whatever we have. Because we know that no matter where we go or where we are or what we do, that you are with us. 
So God, I pray today that you would send us out on mission with the gospel in our hands, with our testimony in our hands, and that we would go and love this dying world and share the news of somebody who can relieve our fears, who can relieve our anxieties, our worries, and that we can be disciples by someone who's good, by someone who speaks truth, who speaks love, and who speaks comfort into us. We thank you, Jesus, that we can trust you. That we can trust you, that you have atoned for our sin, you have brought us to God, and because of those things, we are now one with you. And you'll never leave us. Never. So God, send us out on mission. I pray that we would glorify you every single day for the rest of our lives. And we ask it in Christ's name, amen.